Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. live on Joy 94.9 Saturday afternoon from noon via the live stream at joy.org.au forward slash listen live or tune your wireless in Melbourne to 94.9 FM. You're listening to Technogaze here on Joy 94.9 and in Sydney on Star Observer Digital, your sex, sexuality and gender diverse digital radio station. Here on Technogaze, we gaze into the world of consumer electronics, gadgets and technology. I'm Michael and today I'm joined by our very own Time Lord, Craig. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We have a very full and packed show of all sorts of good stuff. We're going to be talking about Facebook's gender assignment, copyright and the government, and what's happening with Sochi and hacking. And then a little bit later on, Craig, we're going to be talking about uh, space, warp drives, and the future, aren't we? Yes, we are. That should be fun. Yes. I'm uh, wanting to know when I book my next holiday with Richard Branson's Warp Drive company. Yeah, well, I think we should definitely wait for Galaxy first, but, you know, I don't think Warp Drive's too far away. (laughs) It's going to be good when it finally happens. We're also going to be looking at uh, how police are using technology overseas and Australia and what some of the implications are to our um, freedoms. Some more on drone trials around the world and a printer that uses water instead of ink. Sounds like a lot of fun. Something that I need for this show when I print and then throw things out. Okay, let's start off with Facebook. And uh, they've introduced a new um, thing on their on their edit page for people to uh, identify on how they identify themselves. Yeah, so I think uh, you can put down you know, with your gender, um, trans and, and male and female, and then you can even change um, which pronouns that they um, use on the on the website to describe you. Yeah, so instead of describing you as he or she, you could be they. Yes. Which is really good. The thing that I want that I meant to look up but I forgot to is uh, what pronouns they use in the uh, pirate language. In the pirate language? Yes, because they're like, you know, are you wench or something like that for women, <laughs> I believe. And, yeah. and so I wanted to know what they use uh, for the, for the um, all the different uh, genders that they've added now. Mm, it'll be interesting to find out. <laughs> the thing that I like about it is that, you know, you can have the traditional male or female, or if you identify as something different, it leaves it a customizable box so you can put in exactly what you want. And you can also, I think you can also dictate who sees that as well. Yes. Which I think is the most important part. Yeah, so if you're not out to everybody and you just want to be out to certain people, then you can limit who gets to see it. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's a really good idea. I mean, you know, uh, Facebook is meant to be personal and it's uh, every different way that you can personalise your own Facebook is definitely a plus. Mm. So uh, that's good and that's available now because I checked it out yesterday and um, I was pleasantly surprised to see that it's been rolled out because sometimes these things get announced and they take a while to become available. Yeah. So that's uh, really good. Mm. Uh, moving on, I think you know we have a new government when you start hearing things about, oh, we should do some things with the internet and restrict it and have a say in you know what people get to see and how they get to see it. Yes, of course, you know, all the privacies and, and restrictions and stuff like that. Yeah. Yesterday, um, sort of late yesterday afternoon, there were, um, on the Newswire, there were stories about the, uh, the new Attorney General, George Brandis, who... Um, has been talking about copyright reform and um, the things that we need to do to protect copyright. And one of the things that the government is considering is a major crackdown on online piracy, including forcing internet service providers to block websites that allow users to illegally stream or download movies, music and television shows. I 
think, uh, well, I mean, you know, obviously with every new government, this comes up. But I remember last time that there were um, some lawsuits with the ISPs um, around this and whether and how much responsibility they had. And I think that it came down to that the ISPs are not responsible for what their clients do with the internet, but they are responsible with telling them that's a little bit naughty you need to not do that so much anymore yeah there was i think it was the iinet law uh, law case where yeah. um iinet was found not to be responsible for what um, its users do yes but they they did need to um alert them to you know misbehavior and stuff like that so i think it, the compromise was that uh iinet had to send out emails to their clients saying you were found doing something illegal. You need to understand that it's illegal. Please try not to do this in the future. You now know what not to do. Right. So more of a, a warning rather than a, we're going to stop you from accessing the service. Yeah, I vaguely remember if you you know kind of got enough warnings in a certain amount of time, mm. then they um, were going to cut off your internet. But that's a vague memory whether that was true or not. Is yeah, because there are a number of countries overseas where they do that, and so you know the three strikes law, where after three warnings you actually lose your internet. And I think somewhere it's also you lose your internet for life, which is oh, wow. pretty harsh. Yeah, yeah. So you have to take out a service in another name, I think, to get around <laughs> that. Yes. Uh, George Brandis did cite that Australians are amongst the worst in the world at, uh, at visiting such sites. But I really wonder, is that because we don't have much of an alternative? Well, I was actually reading an article the other day about, I cannot remember, oh, Game of Thrones is being released only on Foxtel. Right. Um, and no, uh, it's like exclusively week to week on Foxtel and it's not going to be able to be released as a whole season for anywhere else until... The last show of the season has been aired and there was a lot of talk that this is going to push Australians to pirate it because people don't want to pay just for Foxtel just, just to, to see Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah, no, that's right. And, you know, in the States you've got services like Netflix mm-hmm. and there are other services. And I think in Australia we've got something called QuickFlix, but it's not as, as widely known. Yeah. But the um, there are the availability of, of material is much, much more restricted. Yeah, and we have things like iView for ABC and I think all the other free-to-air channels have something similar as well. And mm. and um, so I think, you know, American uh, companies making deals uh, with Foxtel like this is, is just going to push restraints to, to piracy. Like if they were really wanting to kind of curb piracy, then they would, you know, not kind of force people's hands so much around these kind of things. Yeah, make, make it available. And I'm sure most people are, are willing to pay something that's reasonable yeah. if they don't have to take the the whole, you know, I'm going to take everything else along with it just for this one show. Yeah, well, I mean, Apple addressed that with their whole iTunes stuff, you know, bringing songs down to a dollar and things like that, you know, mm. instead of uh, instead of making, you know, music ridiculously unavailable and expensive, they yep. made it affordable and accessible and so people were less likely to download it. And I think a whole lot more people are buying music now than they've ever done before. Yeah. Which has really turned around the industry. But for some reason, there seems to be this um, hesitation on the, um, the the movie or the video or the TV side of things that um, these companies haven't really quite sort of put two and two together the way that uh, the music industry has to some extent. Yeah, I think part of it might not be because any one company has a, a monopoly like Apple were kind of the music people yeah. for quite some time. But I think because there's not one person, you know, solely or one company solely in charge of, of TVs and movies and stuff like that, then they don't want to do anything different because they might be disadvantaged from the other ones. Mm. And perhaps they've seen the uh, the power that Apple has gained and they're a little bit scared to <laughs> hand somebody like that again. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yes. This is uh, Technogaze on Joy 94.9. If you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, send us an SMS on 0427 Joy 949. You can call us and leave a message with Mushin on 1300 Joy 949 or send us an email on air at joy.org.au. We'd love to hear from you if you've got something to say here on this uh, wonderful Saturday afternoon. Last week, we had a story about Sochi and uh, hacking into devices. Uh, namely, there was an NBC reporter that um, said that he, he brought two new laptops and a phone and he was hacked within 24 hours and, you know, they'd taken over um, his laptop and, and so on. It turns out this week that there's a little bit more to the story than just that. And the way that um, the story came about, it sounded like basically he had no control over this, you know, his, his devices were magically hijacked. 
what it turns out is that there was nothing magic about it. That um, apart from him not really being in Sochi, him being in Moscow, which the story did say, but it was sort of hidden a little bit, um, you know, he clicked on some suspicious emails that he received. Right. Which were basically link bait and sort of, you know, took, went to a site and opened up a program that infected his computer and so on. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. So, but it was it was just one of these things, and I don't know. Maybe I'm naive because I expect a little bit more from a you know, news station like NBC, where they would not put so much of a spin and and put so much you know of fud, you know, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt in people's mind, and report on it in a way that is a little bit more responsible. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's not as bad as as what they made out to be. And I guess they're really playing into people's um, fears and thoughts about, oh, yeah, this is what the Sochi games are going to be like. This is what Russia's going to be like. You know, you shouldn't go there because you're going to get hacked instantly. Yeah, well, when I first saw the story, I uh, kind of thought, well, how is this particularly any different from, say, if you were anywhere else in the world? And I just kind of thought the things that were happening would be stuff that could happen, like Mm. even if you weren't in Russia. Um, so, yeah, I was a little bit sceptical when I heard the, the story, but, you know, to hear that he was kind of actively trying to, to get things on there is, you know, <laughs> yes. obviously not surprising that his computer got hijacked. It's, it's a little bit like um, complaining about pickpockets in the city when you walk around with, you know, your phone, your expensive phone hanging half out of your pa- pocket and yes. then you go, oh, gee, I got pickpocketed, I wonder why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. It's uh, coming up to 14 minutes past midday and we shall be back in one second. Joy 94.9 That's right, you're listening to Technogaze on Joy 94.9 and in Sydney on Star Observer Digital. For, for more information about Star Observer Digital, click the banners at joy.org.au. In the studio is Michael and Craig, and we are talking about space. And warp drives. Yeah, this, there's, um, there's been a couple of stories that have been floating around recently about this. And it sounds really exciting. Uh, yeah, there have been quite a few kind of... Um, this is kind of some of the stuff that I love about science and scientists is that mm. sometimes they watch science fiction and go, I think we can do that. Um, and in this case, they're talking about warp drives and it works very similar or to the way that it um, is presented in, say, Star Trek. Yep. Um, and in fact, it's actually even more... Um, specifically detailed in Futurama and uh, I know I'm saying all these uh, sci-fi references but this is actually real science. But but why is it that the sci-fi shows get it so right? Um, I don't think they do. I think it's yeah. like, I think there's a lot of things in sci-fi that they didn't get right and we're just remembering these ones because we're really excited that they got right. Okay, so out of all the hundred things that they've got in there, you know, here are a couple of things that are right and therefore we latch onto them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, fair, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, so the whole idea of warp drive um, works on the principle of not moving the ship but moving the space around it. And it sounds silly. Yeah, how does that work? Um so what you do is you kind of make a bubble around the spaceship mm. and you contract the space in front of it and then you expand the space behind it and that'll push the bubble towards the destination. And a lot of people, I think, will find it hard to, to kind of visualise and, and think how this will actually work. Um, but uh, you can expand and shrink space. I mean, it's not entirely easy to do, but it's possible and, and we see it. You know, we, we've got the, the Hubble constant where we see galaxies moving away from us because the space in between us is getting larger. And if you really want to think about it on, on a, um, a very basic level, if you take a deflated balloon and yep. you, you draw two dots on it, mm-hmm. now those dots can't move because they're just dots. I mean, you've drawn them on the balloon and you blow up the balloon and then you measure how far away the dots are and you notice that they're further away from each other but they haven't moved. Yeah. So it's just that the space in between the, do, the two dots have expanded. Right. Right. So how do you expand and contract space? Um, we don't... I don't think we entirely know how to do it, like, like to actually create it. We right. know that it's possible mm-hmm. and all of the equations work out, but to actually do it um, is a little bit... Um, is what they're actually trying to work out at the moment. Um, the the problem with the whole warp drive theory is that it, it works mathematically. It, it breaks a few energy um, conservations, <laughs> yeah. um, which are pretty big things. But they're they're not um, they're not. It's not the end of it because these energy um, things that they specify um, we have seen before in 
you know in quantum mechanics and quantum field theory and things like that so it's mm. it's going to be difficult but not impossible to to do something like this okay so einstein said that nothing can move faster than the speed of light yeah and the whole idea behind warp travel is that you move faster than the speed of light so you know how does that how do the two things reconcile when they're completely opposite yeah so uh it's actually a bit of a, a neat trick so um there's there's two kind of caveats or main caveats on on Einstein's um, you know theory that nothing can move faster than the speed of light and, and its information can't move faster than the speed of light. You know, for example, if I um, if I took a laser pointer and pointed yeah. it at the sun and for some reason you could actually see the dot on the on the surface of the sun mm. and I moved and I'm on Earth and I moved my hand across and the dot went from one side of the sun to the other. If I did that in a second, it would move faster than the speed of light. But there's no information regarding it. I mean, it's just a dot. It, it means nothing. I, I get right. no information from it. Yep. But the light traveling to and from has a finite speed. <laughs> it's getting I know, a little bit a little bit complicated. Yeah. Um, and has it has it got something to do with mass? Or not really, um, really related? No, no, not, okay. not really. So so what happens is that. Um, the really neat trick that warp drive does is that it's not actually moving the object. Mm-hmm. The space is expanding and contracting and moving it itself. So if you're inside the bubble, you really you actually won't feel any acceleration. So you know when you take off really quickly yep. at light, you you, you feel the, mm-hmm. the force backwards. You won't feel that in in this warp drive. Okay, so essentially you are standing still, but the space around you is moving. Yep. Okay, that sort of makes sense. Yeah, and the good thing about it is that it it, it also um, means that uh, your time is the same as everybody else's time. So, some people. So, so one of the things of um, you know getting towards the speed of light and moving around those speeds yep. is that you get time dilation and mm-hmm. and. You know, if I'm moving in your stationary, my time or the time that I see moves differently than the time that you see. Right. But the way the warp drive works, because you're not moving Mm -hmm. and the space is moving, my time is the same as your time. So. Okay. So if I'm going from one side of the galaxy to the other, and if it takes me, let's say, 10 minutes to get there, then it's really going to be 10 minutes in my time and 10 minutes in everybody else's time. Yeah. So if you, for example, go off on a two-year mission at you know warp factor three or whatever and Mm. you come back after two years you will be two years older and i will be two years older and there won't be any discrepancies between our age okay so i won't come back to find you 200 years old or something like that no which is you know one of the problems with you know close to speed of light travel Mm -hmm. i see okay and i would imagine that uh warping space or, or bending expanding and contracting space takes a lot of energy uh yeah it probably will take a lot of energy and i think quite a few people have um, said that it's going to take almost more energy in the in the universe that mm. we have to to do it for like a ship, um, but I think they're getting around it by creating some negative energy spaces with uh, quantum field theories and 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 things like that, which is the kind of energy constraints we need to solve those breaks in energy. Um, right. Conservation. One, one of the articles that we put up on the Facebook page has got this nice picture of, you know, the, the warp drive. Um, but was something to do with the shape of the way that the warp bubble is or something like that to help uh, reduce the need for energy? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that would definitely, uh, definitely help a lot. Um, mm. I think, you know, it would probably end up being a sphere because they tend to be most... Right. Energy favorable, but uh, yeah, you can you could definitely manipulate the bubble to be more energy efficient. Okay, so scientists at the moment are trying to do some experiments to see if they what can compress and expand space. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think a team in, from NASA are, are currently doing it, and they're working closely with a, a few other people in the quantum mm-hmm. particle department to to really mer- merge technologies together to be able yeah. to make this a, a reality. I mean, these are obviously not spaceship scale um, <laughs> bubbles uh, they are definitely just very small ones in uh, yep. uh, in the laboratory mm-hmm. and how, how what's your best guess estimate you know until they're successful at doing something like this uh, I think they've been trying to do these experiments for a couple of years um, you know I don't want it to be like one of those it's always five years away kind of statements yep. um, but I would Probably hazard with the tenacity that they're going at it with is probably five to ten years. Okay. They would probably have results whether they're 
commercial results is a little bit different, but I think they'll mm. definitely get some kind of results. Okay, so some, um, I guess, practical proof that you can do this beyond just the theory. Yeah. And then I guess the next step would be to scale it up to something that would be big enough to carry a human being. Yeah, or, or any kind of information or, yeah. you know, like a small robot or something like that. Mm. But, yeah, okay. I, I read somewhere that at warp speed it would take something like two weeks to get to Alpha Centauri. Uh, well, see, this is a really uh, interesting thing is that with this uh, warp drive, you can essentially go as fast as you like. There is no, there's no limit on it. So oh, you, really? you can choose how fast you, you get there and how fast you come back. It will probably take more energy to do it. Right. Um, but yeah, there's, there's actually no limit to, you just have to warp the space around you more. Um, wow. So the whole concept of warp speed nine and so on exists, but you, it's infinitesimal. Yep. Wow, that'd be that'd be really cool. Yeah, make my commute to work so much easier in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, you wouldn't have to uh, catch the train, which would be a bonus. <laughs> exactly. Now, while you're here, I um I was going through Facebook the other day, and I saw one of these stories, and I thought, oh, is this real or is this not real? And it was about a story with the Hubble telescope. Yep. And how some scientists, I think it was back in 2003, pointed the Hubble at a, at, at a part of space that was completely dark and left it going for something like three or four months. And inside that, they saw something like um, 10,000 galaxies in there. Yes. And each galaxy having something like, you know, I don't know, a trillion stars. Yeah. Is it um, real? Yeah. Just, uh, just like our own galaxy has uh, an abundance of stars, you know, yeah. all, all those other galaxies will too. And... Uh, um, yeah, it's definitely real. So there's a, a very famous uh, par- paradox in um, astronomy and astrophysics called uh, Olbers's paradox. Right. And uh, it's to say that if we assume that the universe is infinite and uniform, why is it that any point in the sky, in the night sky, is not lit up by a star? Right, okay. Um, and the um, kind of answer to that is, well, um, it's well, the universe isn't exactly infinite. It is and it isn't. It's, it's uh, um, hard hard to understand sometimes. But um, there's an observable universe in which we can see because light has had enough time to reach us. Right, okay. So light has a, a finite speed. Mm-hmm. It takes a certain amount of time to reach us. Um, and if, um, you know, if it's far enough away, then it hasn't had time to actually get to us yet. So there is space outside of what we can see um, we don't know how far that extends, so we can assume or is infinite. Um, but there is a, a finite thing that we can actually observe. Right. Um, so that means that there are going to be dark spots in the sky where light hasn't reached us yet from mm-hmm. th- from a star that would occupy that part of our night sky. Right. Okay. So it's a, so it's the observable part of space that is the finite. Yeah. Because of that. Because um, I think reading on on this story, it said that the light from these galaxies was um, thirteen billion light years away. Yep. And and my mind can't get around the concept of thirteen billion light years. It means the light that we're seeing today left there thirteen billion years ago. Uh, yeah. So for like um, a distance reference, it takes a it takes light about seven minutes to get from the sun to earth. Okay. Which is quite a long time, really. Yes, it is. <laughs> and the sun isn't, isn't that far away. Uh, well, I guess it is. But it's, it's quite far away. <laughs> <laughs> well, when it's 42 degrees outside and it's burning down on you, it doesn't seem that far, does it? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's amazing. There's, that, there's light out there that hasn't reached us yet that we cannot observe that is there, yep. but it's, tr- it's hurtling along at a very fast pace that um, one day we'll, we'll get to the Earth. Yep. Yeah. It, um, yeah. I was going to say something about creationism and you know the world being five or 6,000 years old, but I better not. <laughs> <laughs> For credibility's sake. <laughs> For credibility's sake, and otherwise we might be inundated with, um, with people complaining. Mm. Yes. Well, this is all very good and fun. It's 27 minutes past midday um, here on Joy 94.9. And uh, we're going to be coming back very shortly with some more stories about police stuff and uh, what's happening with the use of technology. Gay Radio, online, all the time. Joy.org.au This is Techno Gaze on Joy 94.9, as well as 
Sydney's Star Observer Digital, your sex, sexuality and gender diverse radio station. For more information about Sydney Star Observer Digital, click on the banners at joy.org.au. In the studio with me is Craig, and I'm Michael, and uh, we're talking about some developments in technology with the police force, namely in South Australia. Yes. They've um, started using some new scanners that um, are... a scanning device made by NEC, and it's a custom solution for them that uses Android phones to connect over the 3G and 4G uh, wireless network to the National Police Database known as Crime Track. And um, data on um, confirmed hits are then sent back to the officer in real time, including outstanding warrants, bail conditions, and whether the, the person has any violent tendencies. Uh, there's been a little trial out that started with 20 units and is now increasing to 150 units. Now, one of the things that I believe this system needs is your fingerprint. Yeah, and I think you can't... I don't think police are allowed to take your fingerprints unless you're actually being charged for a crime. No, that's right. So, um, and, and this is why the South Australian uh, Police Minister, John Rowe, has said that we'll be introducing laws to expand the powers for police to more effectively use these scanners to fight crime, meaning to take finger, fingerprints. Yeah. Which is a bit of a worry. Um, yeah, I guess I guess you get into that whole if you've got nothing to hide and you've got nothing to worry about kind of thing, which is, you know, always controversial at best. Yeah, it's a bit of a slippery slide, that, isn't it? Well, yeah, I guess it's one of those things that they... they it's, it's almost like... Well, the way that I think about it is that it's like a blind check. If they don't know who you are mm. and they're taking your fingerprint, they're just checking to see if there is something wrong that they need to check up on. Yeah. You know, it's not they're not taking your details to store in a database. They are checking to see if there is something that they need to check up on. Mm. Whether that is actually true and what is going to happen is, is probably another question, but uh but uh, I think you know, it's they're not they're not taking down your information to store for later use. They are, you know, cross-referencing it is my understanding. Yeah, and I, and I and I do wonder that if they if they are allowed to start taking your fingerprints for cross referencing, you know, what are the, going to be the rules around storing this information? Because I know in countries like the UK where they um, take, let's say, DNA mm-hmm. um, from people during an investigation, they have a law that says they're only allowed to keep it for a certain period of time, and then they must destroy this. I wonder whether the same thing will happen with you know with fingerprints, because otherwise it, it becomes a form of tracking. It's like, oh yes, we saw Craig here two years ago and then he was here six months ago and then he was here three months ago because we've got the history of you, your fingerprint and where you were at the time. Yeah. Which is not something that um, I guess we would necessarily want. Yeah, I guess um, ultimately the best thing would be to send off the fingerprints uh, to Crime Track without any name, um, without any name associated in the Android device. Um, right. And then when they get something back that says, this person is blah, then, you know, they can follow up on it. So, you know, they have a fingerprint, but they can't match it to anyone otherwise. Yes. Yeah, now it'll be interesting to see what happens. There's, um, you know, I, th- I think the whole policing has become, I guess, a lot more proactive rather than reactive. So it used to be a time where a policeman would see somebody acting suspiciously and then they'd go investigate. Now with things like uh, police being able to scan number plates of cars and look for outstanding warrants, warrants perhaps the use of uh, facial recognition technology to, you know, if somebody's doing a patrol in the street, that they can um, suddenly say, oh, there's that person that we wanted on an outstanding ro- mm-hmm. warrant. It does become a whole lot more proactive. Yeah, well, I guess it's the whole um, prevention is better than cure. But I guess, you know, where is it? Where are you going to draw the line? And, and you know, what becomes invasion of privacy and, and things like that? I think, you know, people are always going to try and do the wrong thing and get away with it and get up to, to mischief. Um, and, and it's about, I guess it's about, you know, how far we're we letting the police go to be able to, to catch that. Yeah, and there's a, I guess there's a, tra- there's a trade-off, isn't there, between um, safety as generally and ultimate control yep. versus m- less control and, and less safer environment. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Now, before we go on, we've had a number of texts that have sort of just come through um, about, about um, what we've been talking about. And one of them, and this is a really good question, is... Um, and this is from Matty, uh, from Matt, sorry, from Doncaster, who says, what I don't understand is if those galaxies are 13 billion light years away and that's why we can't see them, how does a telescope see them? Ah, okay, so um, uh, you, you have it slightly wrong. So it's, um, 
if it's 13 billion years away, we can see them because the telescope can see them. But if you go further than that, this is just, a, say, a hypothetical if the barrier was 13 billion years, right, yep. for light to reach us. If it's past that, then we can't see past it. So the telescope also can't see past, past it. it. Right. Um, and, I, and I guess the other thing is when we as humans look into the night sky with our eyes, our ability to see light is far, far weaker than what a telescope can see. Yes. And especially something like the Hubble telescope that is out in space for a reason, so you don't have to go through all of the haze that we see down here. Yep. So the visibility is much different. So I assume our view of um, the sky at night, or the sky generally, would be very different to what we see sitting, you know, from perhaps the roof of our building to what it would be if we were standing on the moon. Uh, In terms of clarity? clarity? um, So the the stars would twinkle less, um, but it just so happens that our eyes have adapted to the... So so the Earth's magnetic uh, field actually clears out a lot of the... um, electromagnetic field right um and only allows visible light in Mm -hmm. um and our eyes have adjusted to see that right yeah so going outside of the earth because our eyes have adjusted to a certain range Ah. we'd kind of only see a certain range right okay Um, yeah so we'd still be disadvantaged uh yeah Hmm. but there'd be less twinkling and 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 things like that okay caused by our atmosphere okay i like the twinkling i'll stay i think i'll stay on earth um mark who we know it's because it's our mark who's a bit of a cynic says warp drive just sounds like it takes advantage of a whole bunch of laws of physical loopholes uh yes and that is exactly the point of science is to find those loopholes and and exploit them Everybody loves exploiting loopholes, whether exactly. it be science or something else. It's it's almost like sport. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, going back to uh, a bit of an earlier story that we are talking about, and that was on copyright law and privacy, um, Brad has sent in a message and um, he says, personally, he can't be bothered downloading anything. He's basically lazy. I, 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 can, uh, I can relate to that. It does become a bit of a chore, and I'd much rather somebody just gave it to me on the plate. Um but um, what do you say? I might be more inclined to do so if the legal provide le- law in Australia did not charge so much more here than overseas. I think this is oh, okay. I think this is the cost of media being more expensive in Australia than overseas. Yes, which I believe um, I think predominantly, or the the main you know perpetrator for that is Apple. Who, when the Australian dollar was uh, better than the American dollar, it still cost a lot more for the same product here. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I think they deflected it and said, "Oh no, it's the the um, the local companies that are that are setting the prices, not us." Right. Yes. There's there's always a a reason why um, it's like this. I I guess it's a little bit like the uh, McDonald's um, standard charge. You know, the cost of a of a Big Mac here versus a Big Mac there. Yeah. That type of thing. Yeah. And and you would expect, especially if the currency is is reasonably stable and moves in a certain direction, that the price would move in a certain direction as well, rather than being fixed as it has been. Um, yeah, I guess really the only way you can kind of monitor that is to have, you know, slash a kind of, you know, internet um, currency, you know. So, you know, Apple dollars and stuff like that. And, and, you know, it costs a certain amount of Australian dollars to get mm. that. And then all products cost the same. Same, so. yeah. What, a, a global currency? Yes. Ooh, no, we're not going to talk about Bitcoin today. <laughs> And uh, last message from Jim, who made a point about Facebook with the uh, gender identification that's only available on the US English language website, which is interesting. Okay, so no piratey stuff yet. Yeah. Sadly. But it's also sad that it's on, not available in other languages. Um, is it just US English or is it English? Because what about UK English? Because mm. they do differentiate between the two. Two, yeah. Maybe it's just the English side, but uh, yeah, definitely not pirate then. Damn. Oh, well. Getting back to police (laughs) and uh, facial recognition, the New York Police Department have just bought a whole lot of Google Glass. Well, sorry, not a whole lot, a few uh, Google Glass. And uh, they're doing this independently, so not as a Google partner or anything. And uh, they're having a bit of a play and seeing how they could deploy Glass to make their lives easier. Which is what we were kind of talking about before. I think that mm. they're thinking of using facial recognition to see if there's any anyone walking past that has, you know, um, outstanding warrants and stuff like that. Which I know I think you could kind of, um, you know, liken it to photographing number plates and and doing it that way, which is really not much different. No, it's not much different, but it's it's certainly getting a lot more personal, isn't it? 
That is true, yeah. And and if you look at countries like the UK where they have a lot of closed-circuit uh, surveillance, I wonder how much they are in reality using facial recognition. Maybe not today to um, pull up the, you know, the common variety criminal, you know, mm. your house robber or something like that, probably for terrorism. Um, to look for for known terrorists, but I would imagine as technology like this becomes more pervasive, that it's going to be used more and more to um, catch people. Which you know, on one hand, is is good, but on the other hand, it means that somebody's looking at me all the time and knowing where I am and possibly keeping logs of where I'm travelling. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, and I, I think I guess I, I I have this naive notion that they're really just kind of cross referencing. So if you you know, if you have done something bad in the past and your details mm. have been recorded with the police, then they're just cross-referencing with them. So if you haven't, if you're not on their database and they're scanning your face, then there's nothing that's going to happen with it. It just gets deleted. Is my naive uh, thoughts about this, but but whether this is a reality or not is is I guess you know something that they're going to have to try and eke out. Because mm, I, I can imagine that things probably aren't being deleted, and I can also imagine you know some day that perhaps you are involved in an investigation of crime, and you say oh, I was here last week, and they turn around and say, well, hang on a minute, we know that last week you were somewhere else. Right. Mm, could be interesting. Mm. Have your say. SMS 0427-JOY949. That's right. If you want to get in touch with us, you can SMS us or send an email on air at joy.org.au. Now, have you heard of Flappy Birds? Uh, only because of the whole controversy of it being taken down. Have you played it? Uh, I've played some of the... Um uh, some of the uh, duplicates that that have been coming around now, the the, the, the Flappy Bird clones. Yeah, it's, oh, it's so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the thing with Flappy Birds. Look, I've never played it, and actually, before we go on, if somebody out there has played Flappy Birds and is really really into Flappy Birds, please tell us what you find you know is the appeal, because I would love to know, because. It looks, from what I've read, it looks really, really simple. You've got this bird that moves in one direction. You've got these pipes that apparently look like Mario Brothers mm-hmm. pipes. And that if you just touch the pipe, you die. Yep. And what, from, from what I've read, that is the appeal, that it looks so simple, but it yet is so hard. So it's this challenge that you're trying to mount against it. Oh, it's definitely like this whole competitive overcoming shame thing. It's like, this is a really easy game and I should be a lot better at this. I shouldn't die in the first pipe. Um, so I'm going to have to keep playing until I don't die in the first pipe. <laughs> I just got to keep on going and keep on going. Yeah. And to, until I beat everybody else. Yeah. And, and don't look, you know, um, silly at playing this game and losing so frequently. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean you're ashamed to tell people about how badly you go? Yeah, so from now on, I think I'm going to try and deny that I haven't played the game. <laughs> well, it's too late. The, 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 the bird, the bird so to speak, is out. The, the flappy is out. <laughs> the, uh, and, and what I think is making flappy birds even more of a, um, I don't know what the word is, more of a legend is the fact that its creator has pulled it from uh, the various uh, play stores. Yes, it has, um, because he has been getting so much strife about it. Yeah, and uh, now it was a pretty good earner. He uh, he was reputed to have been earning up to $50,000 a day at its peak. This is from the ads. So the game itself is free, so this is from the ads. Mm -hmm. Something like more than 50 million downloads. Wow. Um, But the creator, Don Nguyen from Hanoi, Vietnam, pulled the game from the iOS and Google Play stores because of of all the grief that he received. Yeah, which sounds um, odd, because if you're making that kind of money, I think I'd want to put up with a little bit of grief or be willing to at least yeah that's right well he did say that when he you know he tweeted the removal that it had was nothing to do with legal reasons so you know you'd think that perhaps nobody was giving copyright issues over the look and feel of of these pipes uh but obviously he was getting so many messages and complaints and whatever that he just said enough is enough wow or maybe he just made enough money that he didn't need to make any more well that that could be very true. Mm. And I think it's unusual for somebody to stand back and say, hey, I've got enough, I'm going to stop now. That's very true. <laughs> because human nature, I think, is such that it's like, oh, if I can make more, I shall make more. Yep. And keep on going. Yeah, so Flappy Birds is dead. It, well, it's no longer there. If you've got it on your phone or on your device, it will stay there. Um, but, um, yeah, no more Flappy Birds. But mm. there are clones. There's something like 140 new apps which contain the word Flappy in them. Yeah, well, when I tried to find it, when I found out it had been pulled, because I wasn't sure if it had been pulled and then put back up or, or mm. what it was, there were so many different versions of it. It's, yeah. it's a, and they're all really essentially the same game. Really? 
Uh, but this is, but no, no second chance. It was just like stone cold dead. Yep. Boom, you're gone. Yeah, yeah. It. And it's really difficult. Like you can, you just kind of. It's very jumpy, so it's very easy to hit one of the pipes. Oh right, while okay. trying to go yeah. through. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not a game player, so yeah, no, I'd probably get too frustrated. Oh well, good luck to him, and uh, I'm sure he's enjoying the fruits of his labour. I'd be interested to see if he releases a different game. Yeah, I, I don't know. He might he might be like a child star, you know, never been able to emulate the success that he had in the beginning. That's true. And be forever, uh, you know, caught in that trap of trying to get something better out there. Yeah, he'll forever be Mr. Flappy Bird. Yes. Oh, oh good luck to Mr. Flappy. Um, drones are in the news again, this time in Dubai. Yes. Yeah. Um, some time ago, um, we had a look at a story where I think it was... Um, Amazon were doing some trials with drones, and now the uh, United Arab Emirates government is doing its own test parcel delivery program. And uh, they're using drones that can scan your fingerprint and also your retina to ensure correct delivery. And these drones will be initially trial delivering driver's licenses and other government documents in and around Dubai before broadening the service to the rest of the UAE. I had a few questions when I, when I read this article, yeah. like... So this would mean that the government has your fingerprints and your retina already to <laughs> yes. confirm, which I think we discussed earlier with the police and the problems with that. Yeah. Um, and do the drones just sit, like, at your doorstep and wait for you to come home before... Well, so? well yeah, I don't know. How long would they, you know, hover and wait? Yeah, or, you know, assuming if they've already got your fingerprints and, and retina, then they probably have a tracking device in you so they could just send it straight to you. To where you are? Yeah. Yeah. Well, may, may, maybe they arrange, you know, the normal uh, parcel delivery, you know, will be there between 10 and 12, you know. Shows up at 3 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> well, ho- hopefully the drones are a little bit uh, more uh, or a little less tardy than uh, human delivery people. Yeah. Yeah, but it'll be interesting. The um, one of the things that Amazon had is they've had a uh, a fair bit of regulatory uh, red tape to get to get through to mm-hmm. allow their drones to deliver things, because this is sponsored by the UAE government. I don't think they'll have any red tape issues whatsoever. No, not really. But no. they they already use drones for like crowd control and. Um, stuff like that. Well, not crowd control, but you know, monitoring, monitoring and, crowds, and camera events. Yeah. Yes, in there. That's right. So it's just a natural extension of this. Um, and apparently they're also using uh, drones with cameras uh, to help firefighters. Yeah. And well, that I, sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, but I did, I did read that also, they also have fire hoses, but I can't understand how a drone with a fire hose can help unless... No, I really can't understand how it's going to help because you need to connect it to water at the other end to I'm be just, of any use. I'm just thinking of like a mini Elvis. A mini Elvis, yeah. I think the whole idea of Elvis is it drops a hell of a load of water at one time. (laughs) Just thinking seeing this thimble drop out of the air is probably not going to do a lot. (laughs) Not unless it's a microfire. That's it. Yes. Oh, well, so uh, we'll be interested to see what happens. Now, in Germany, I don't know if you're aware, the the police, (laughs) I'm talking a lot about police, the police are fairly strict about jaywalking rules. And if you cross a red light as a pedestrian, you're likely to get booked if you're seen by the police. And very few people cross red lights, which makes it very difficult for me in, in being, in, you know, as an Australian in Germany from time to time in that it's like, hmm, there's no traffic. It's just, an, you know, it's just a warning. I don't need to wait, but apparently you do need to wait. But um, for some reason, I think German councils are also getting a little bit concerned about their uh, citizens breaking the law. So... They're using gamification to help people stay within the law. In uh, one of the towns, they've introduced um, Pong. I think I can honestly say... As in the game say, Pong. <laughs> Sorry. I think you can honestly say, if I was waiting for a little, for the little green man mm. um, by playing Pong, I would probably go through several light cycles. <laughs> right, and you wouldn't cross the road. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, as long as you're not crossing the green thread, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. And the whole idea is that instead of having your traditional button that you press, you've got this fairly large panel there. And um, you can press it to, you know, call the light and say, hey, I want to cross. But you can also play Pong with somebody on the other side of the road. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so while you're waiting, you just play Pong and you meet, meet a new person. You say hello when you cross the road and maybe stop and play Pong on the other side again before you go on your little merry way. Again, I can see myself going to meet somebody at an intersection and we just end up playing Pong against each other for several light cycles. <laughs> <laughs> Manipulating. There'll be a queue of people that's standing it, behind right, you right. wanting to play. Someone will put their dollar on top of the, the little box. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it is a good way of getting people to stay put and not cross against a red light. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think so too. I think it's very, very well thought out. Um, now, this one, this next story really appeals to me because I am, I was going to say old-fashioned, but I'm probably just old. Old and old-fashioned, <laughs> I like paper. Yeah. And usually on this show, Mark and Raina, you know, give me a hard time because I print out the show notes and they're there with their iPads and you're there with your iPad looking at <laughs> looking the show notes. But I feel much more comfortable with paper. But I tend to use it and then after an hour I throw it out. Yep. And I do this a fair amount at work as well. Print or something recycle out. it. Or, well, yeah, sorry, <laughs> re- recycle it. Uh, but I have found that with printing double-sided it is harder to recycle because I can't jot notes on the back of an empty sheet anymore. Right. So it becomes a problem. But there is now the ability, well, there soon will be the ability with a printer that prints with water. Yes, and I think it, it only lasts about a day or so, and then uh, and then it fades, and then you can reuse the paper again. That's that's ex- that's exactly it. So you need specially treated paper, which is only adds to only adds about five percent of the cost um, of the paper to to the process. So it's not too too much. And what it does is that when you print um, in this printer, which uses water instead of ink, so instead of you know filling it with expensive ink, you fill it with water. It will it will print. Um, and today the colours that can print is fairly limited, and I think the contrast is, isn't as good as what it could be. But the whole idea is that yeah, it fades after 24 or 48 hours, or certainly um, if you apply heat to it, it will fade a lot mm-hmm. quicker. So the whole idea is that for the estimated 40% of all office printed material that is binned just after one read, um, that you can recycle it in a much much more meaningful way. I definitely know that I could use this paper a lot in my office because I think you can use it around about 200 times, each piece of paper. Or yeah, something like that? Something like, yeah, yeah quite, quite, quite a number of times. And um, apparently the, the cost saving, that no, it's 50 times you can recycle right. it. And then if you recycle it 50 times, the cost prints about 1% of normal inkjet printing. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, if it's only 5% more for the paper and you're mm. using it 50 times, that's a huge saving just there. And then you're not having to buy ink. Ink, which is expensive. Really expensive. Yeah, that's right. But even if you don't recycle as much and you recycle only, let's say, a dozen times, you're still saving around about 6%. Sorry, the cost is 6%, so yeah. you're saving 94%. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, it's um, it, it's really huge. So I'd imagine you, you'd probably have two types of printers in your office. You'd have normal printers that keep it, the image forever for those documents that you want to keep forever. But for those things that you know, yes, I just want to do a proofread or I have a meeting where I, I need to have or I feel more comfortable having paper notes yep. that uh, you can then print on this uh, recycle recyclable printer. Yeah, I, I I do envisage the uh, the problem of I printed this out uh, just like the other day. Where is it? And it's it's just a blank paper now. <laughs> so I'm you know I definitely will have to think about whether or not it's the, what I'm going to print is, is needs to be lasting or not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, yeah, I do have piles of paper in my office at work where um, it's I just stack everything on the mm. other so. You know, if I come to it and it's like, oh, why are these blank? <laughs> what was here? Where is that report that I asked you for on Monday? Oh, I left it on your desk. Oh, no, it's just, I just saw a blank piece of paper. It was sitting in the sun and it, it faded. <laughs> My dog ate it. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, never mind. Um, now, there is a new um, sitcom coming out from HBO. And I think when we start to see shows about technology... Um, on TV, you know that sort of nerdism has gone mainstream. Yes. And um, this one is about a... Um, it's, the show's called Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. surprisingly enough. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's starting off with an eight-episode uh, season and it's uh, partially inspired by its creator's experiences in Silicon Valley in the late 80s as a software engineer. Um, Mike Judge is the creator and director, and he's also responsible for other shows such as Office Space, Beavis and Butthead, and King of the Hill. That sounds like it's going to be good. Yeah, it, it, it look, it potentially could be quite good. It's it's on HBO. The uh, plot synopsis, and it's a little bit long, so I'm going to uh, try and skip through it, is that Richard's an introverted computer programmer living in a hackle, hacker-hostile startup incubator along with his best friend, Big Head. Um, these, the social misfits live under the watch of Ehrlich, who's a self-satisfied dot-com millionaire who lets them stay in his house for free as long as he gets a 10% stake of their projects. 
After a failed pitch to billionaire venture capitalist Peter Gregory, Richard seems devastated to remain. Uh, sorry, seems destined to remain at his job at a, at the tech company Hooli, founded by the megalomaniacal Gavin Belson. When Monica, Gregor- when Monica, Gregory's head of operations and Jared, a Hooli executive, realised the value of the site's search algorithm, a bidding war erupts between uh, Belson and Gregory, with Richard caught in the middle. So, yeah, it could be a bit of fun. Yeah, well, it definitely sounds uh, good. I mean, you know, um, they, they started with the Big Bang Theory and that took off and really got science mm. into, into mainstream and hopefully they can do the same with technology with Silicon Valley. Yeah, well, and hopefully it will be available in Australia soon on stations and not just on Foxtel. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, there might be... Uh, A few pirates walking around. Exactly, which isn't, really isn't good. But um, if we had more choice, maybe there'd be less of it. Yeah. We are running out of time. I can see Shannon doing a little jig in the new studio getting ready um, so we'll be back in a second to wrap up Techno Gaze Gay Radio online all the time joy.org.au It's four minutes to one here on Techno Gaze on Joy 94.9 and in Sydney on Star Observer Digital This is Michael and I have Craig in the studio and we're just about to wind up but I thought we would uh, look at one last slightly humorous story Yes. Now, one of the one of the bad things about getting older is that you wake up more often in the middle of the night, and you have to find your way to the toilet. Well, now somebody's come up with a toilet seat that's got a built-in nightlight. <laughs> well, there, I have seen a few toilets that have uh, the uh, glow-in-the-dark paint painted on them, so you can find them a lot easier. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, but this is a, a, a nice or fairly soft uh, blue light. Oh. Oops. And <laughs> and um, it shines all throughout the night. And um, when you lift the seat, then, of course, you get a little bit more illumination inside the bowl. Oh, so it's like a fridge. <laughs> it's like a fridge. <laughs> or it's like the underside of somebody's car. <laughs> yeah. So you don't need to turn the bright light and wake yourself up to in order to aim properly. That is good because those lights are blinding. Yes, that's right. Sort of you're, you're half asleep and uh, suddenly you, you wake up. So, yeah, yeah. Toilets with lights. What yeah. will they think of next? Who knows? Sliced yeah. bread, maybe. <laughs> yes. Well, that's all we've got time for today. If you've missed any part of the show or perhaps you're looking to peruse previous episodes, you can do so by browsing our website, joy.org.au slash technogaze. Coming up next, there's a news bo- new a joy. What <laughs> my teeth out of my mouth or something there's a new a joy news bulletin with shannon and uh following that we've got pete dylan with cravings craig thank you very much for being in the studio today thank you for having me it was great um thank you everyone for listening hope you have a great weekend uh stay tuned for lots of good shows here on joy this afternoon and uh we shall catch you next week Techno Gaze on Joy 94.9. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. 